Hello, this is Kevin McMullen, Senior Pastor of Independence Christian Center. Thanks for joining us as we break the bread of life today. Our prayer is that your faith in our Lord Jesus Christ is strengthened by this word. God bless you. We're continuing our series. We're beginning to wind it down, but we're continuing our series on navigating, working our way through dangerous, these dangerous days. I'm using that because it says I'm calling them dangerous because that's the sense of the term over in in Second uh, Peter chapter th- or Second Timothy chapter three, where verse one, where Paul says, "In the last times, dangerous, not just difficult." The word chalapas means savage, uh, violent, hard to take. Days will come, times will come, and we are. Going forward, you know, we, we, 20 years ago, 25 years ago, we lived in a very different world and a very different nation than the one in which we are currently residing. And now there are landmines that the enemy has put, you know, for the average person. He wants us to step on them. But by walking according to the word, by the scripture, we will avoid that. Everybody say amen. amen. All right. And Acts chapter 11 it's interesting because they call Peter on the carpet for having ministered uh, to, you know, the, the, the Gentiles, uh, to the house of Cornelius, the word of God. You know, and remember, he went because he had the vision of the sheet let down by the four corners. And then Cornelius's ambassage shows up at the door while he's still talking to the Lord about what he had seen. And he went and even as he was preaching Jesus to them. And they'd heard of Jesus. We know that because in Acts chapter 10 and 38, he says, you know of Jesus of Nazareth. So they had heard. This wasn't 10 days after the resurrection. This was, this was years after the, the, the ascension. And he says, you know of Jesus of Nazareth. And while he was yet still ministering to them, the Holy Spirit fell upon them and they began speaking with other tongues and prophesying. And the, and the, the members of the circumcision, the, the Jewish people stand there going, whoa. But when they got to Jerusalem, the, he was called on the carpet because they said, you went into uncircumcised men and you ate with them. The only thing the scripture doesn't add is that ew at the end. And when he offered his defense, he said, hey, everything, I, this is what happened. This is what happened. This is what happened. This is what happened. And who am I to stand in God's way if this is what God's going to do? And this was their response. Acts chapter 11 and verse 18. It was up there a minute ago. And when they heard this, they quieted down and glorified God, saying, Well, then God has granted to the Gentiles also the repentance that leads to light. Leads to life. Okay, I want you to see that. Granted to the Gentiles also, not just life. He used a specific word, repentance. He has given them repentance. Today I want to talk about the gift of repentance. You know, repentance has become a dirty word in some Christian circles because they will teach you. And I understand where they're coming from to an extent that the grace of God covers it's all. It's all a done deal. It's a finished work. 
And yes, in, in many ways, in many senses, it is. Because once I ex- embrace Christ, there is no longer anything that needs to be done vis-a-vis my salvation, my born-again experience going to heaven. That said, there is still a lot that has to be done in my character, in my personal spiritual growth. But they're, they've taken it so far that they say, well, there's really no longer any need for repentance because it's all been, it's all under the blood. It's all been propitiated. It's all been expiated, however you want to put it. You know, it's either been paid in full or it's been wiped completely clean. The word halastama means both of those things. And so when we say there's no need for repentance, if we're not careful, that leads us to the place where there's no need for any personal character transformation either. Which leads us to the place where there is no need for holiness, or put it another way, there is no need for sanctification. And I realize this is a strong statement, but I believe it with all my heart, that this stance that says we never need to repent, we never need to look at our life, we never need to worry about what we do, our, all of it, we can just say what we want, eat what we want, smoke what we want, sleep with what we, who we want, etc. like this. And it doesn't matter because God has taken care of it all in Jesus. That is a doctrine of demons. Simple as that. I don't know how to say it any more bluntly, all right? I'm not saying that people who teach that are demonically possessed necessarily, but they are at a bare minimum deceived. And I am saying that walking in that way or even something that resembles it is a wide open door for the enemy to come into your life and hold high carnival. Living that way is an open, I mean, it's virtually unrestricted access. Um, I remember reading a story about a guy who was talking to a friend of his who pastored a very large church. And he was saying, you know, and his friend was saying, no, there is no need to repent. He preached that in his church. No need to repent. And he said, he was talking to him. He said, well, you know, if you did something, you sinned against your wife, you offended your wife. If you brought her Taco Bell when you promised chicken Madeira, wouldn't you apologize to her? And he said, well, of course. He said, well, what about, you know, with, with God? When you sin against God, don't you do the same with him? And his answer was, well, my relationship with God is not like that. To which I say, is that so? What kind of relationship do you have with the Lord, brother? That's what I want to know. It's a matter of lordship. That's what we're talking about is lordship here. Is the finished works error ignores classic uh, Christian theology. And I'll give warning to Carl. I didn't tell him ahead of time. I'm going to go to the board. There are two kinds of righteousness in classic Christian theology and getting them confused is a good way to get, you know, to struggle when you need not do so. The first one is the one we all know. There is imputed righteousness. Imputed. This is the judicial. This is where when I believe in Jesus, he took and that he took my sin on the cross for me, 
that I am now the righteousness of God in Christ because his righteousness, the righteousness of God has been imputed to me. Okay. Said in a way that perhaps is a little more contemporary. I now identify. I identify as righteous. Okay. But how many of you know that there's a lot of people walking around out there that identify as something that they ain't? If you'll pardon my use of that. All right. The second one, I forgot the end, is imparted. Imparted. That's a D. Righteousness. And that is as we walk through this life, that righteousness of God that has been imputed to us begins to become imparted to us. And it begins to shape us, to mold us, to transform, not just change, transform us so that we become more Christ-like in our thinking, in our words, in our attitudes, in our behaviors. Imparted righteousness is that transformation that God requires. If you came for a real easy word today, I'm sorry. I apologize. Well, no, I don't. All right. The life and the nature of God. He wants, when we're born again, he says, great. You're a member of the family. Now let me grow you up. Let me, let me help you mature. And we are to make that the number one priority in our lives. There's another word for that. It's called discipleship. All right. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14. Everybody say New Testament. The writer says, pursue peace with all men and the sanctification. The word translated sanctification is exactly the same word translated holiness. And in some versions it is translated holiness. Holiness is not a dirty word. All right. Pursue peace with all men and the holiness and the sanctification without which no one will see the Lord. Now, this is not works righteousness. What he's saying is pursue godliness and, 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 and uprightness walking before the Lord. Because as you do that, you will see greater and greater manifestations of God. Plus, if you don't even have the imputed righteousness, you definitely are not going to see the Lord. Well, you will, but it'll be at the great white throne. All right. If now. Think about this. If the work was finished in that sense and there was nothing else for us to do along those lines, why would he be telling us to chase this? And that's what pursue means. Or how many of you with me? Second Corinthians chapter seven and verse one. Therefore, having these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves. Whoa. From all the defilement of the flesh and spirit, perfecting completing, bringing to completion, what? Holiness in the fear of God. Again, our standing before the Lord because of, the, of what Jesus did on the cross 
He can't love us anymore. We can't get any more saved. But what we can be is we can be more righteous and upright and Christ-like in our words, in our thoughts, in our behaviors. Everybody say amen. How many of you think that would be a good thing? And 1 Thessalonians, listen to this. This is, again, New Testament. 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 8. We live in an age, before I read that, we live in a time when sexual sin is considered nothing. Sexual sin is considered NBD. That's military for no big deal. And I, where people aren't even getting married anymore. Fewer and fewer people, you know, well, this is my partner, not my wife or my husband, my spouse. This is my partner. This is my girlfriend. This is my boyfriend, whatever. You know, and how many kids do they have? And I, I told you the story about how I was talking with a paralegal, a family uh, law paralegal here in, in the area. And she told me, she said, used to be we did a lot of custody stuff. Now we do guardianships, which is custody stuff is done in family court. Guardianships are done in probate court. And I said, well, why is that? She said, because nobody's getting married. And when these, the couple that has children split, guardian, they were never married, so guardianship is the way this ha has to go and how they work that out, all right? And so people just don't think anything about sexual sin, even no matter what it says over in Proverbs. Amen. And so Paul makes reference to it here. He says in 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 through 8, For this is the will of God, your holiness. Your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to possess his own vessel, meaning physical body, in sanctification, that is holiness, and honor, not in lustful passion like the Gentiles who don't know God, and that no man transgress and defraud his brother in the matter. What does he mean by that? In other words, none of you crawls into the bed with someone not his wife or someone not her husband. Look at this next phrase. Because the Lord is the avenger in all of these things. That's a little ominous. Are we talking about hell? No. Just as we also told you before and solemnly warned you. For God has not called us for the purpose of impurity. But in what? Holiness. Holiness. Sanctification. So he who rejects this is not rejecting man. But the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Is that pretty straightforward? You don't get any plainer than that. I'm telling you, saints, when the Lord showed me that thing back in 2019, people who have compromised, Christians who have compromised, Christians who've been lukewarm, Christians who've stirred it with their finger, or they've had pet sins that they've decided, you know, I, I know, I, I, but you know what, I'm just, it's okay. I'm going to heaven and that's all that matters. Well, yeah, they'll go to heaven if they're truly born again. But as the excel, things accelerate, the, the, the compromises, the cracks in their spiritual foundation, their lack of faith. You know, if, if the scripture tells me not to commit adultery, 
when I, if I decide to go ahead and do it, which I have not, it's a lack of faith because I really don't believe what God says he, he, he feels about that and what will happen. Because it says with the adulteress, and you can turn this around, that there, that's the doorway directly to Sheol. That's hell for those of you in New Testament parlance. And, and does that mean that the individual who is a Christian who commits adultery is going to the lake of fire forever? No, but I think they're going to just definitely discover some hell in this life. Amen. And so, you know, this is, you know, this is written to Christians. And by the way, the word avenger there means punisher. Rejecting this is not just a rejection of the te uh, human teaching, but let's read that again. First Thessalonians 3 and let's read 7. For God called us for the purpose of, not for the purpose of impurity, but in sanctification. So I want you to take that. Now let's think this through. Put on your theological thinking hat. Think theologically. He, did, he has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but, okay, that's an adversative. So in other words, he has not called us for the purpose of impurity, but he has called us for the purpose of holiness. And then he goes on to say, uh, in the next verse, 8, So he who rejects, rejects this is not rejecting man, but the God who gives his Holy Spirit to you. Now, let's, let's take a look at this. Let's drill down on it a little bit. Are you blessed? All right. I'm telling you, saints, I'm helping you. I'm really helping you. And in the days to come, you will thank the Lord that you've been hearing the real deal. You've been hearing classic Christian theology and not some of these innovative emerging church stuff that's going to. And it already is causing very strong crying and tears among people. When God welcomes us to the family, as I said a minute ago, he says, welcome, you're mine. You're bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. When you're born again, you're not sort of born again. You are all the way born again. All right. You can't be when when somebody's, you know, it's like you can't be sort of pregnant. You is he ain't. Well, that's the way it is with being born again. You either are or you aren't. There isn't somebody who's kind of born again, sort of born again. You either are or you aren't. And one of the things that any good dad wants for his sons and daughters is for them to grow, for them to mature, for them to be to to develop Physically, emotionally, and mentally, and every way. And for us to remain spiritually, and ethically, and morally retarded is an anomaly. It is abnormal. It is, it is, it is and it's a, a real problem because we find ourselves operating under the curse and not understanding why this is happening. What? Well, what do you mean by that? The wages of sin is death. And you know what? That's true whether you're a believer or not a believer. If we go out and sin a lot, guess what's coming back? Death. Separation from the things of God. That's why Jesus said, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall perceive God. That means, the, the flip side of that is, if my heart is impure, I'm going to struggle to perceive what God is doing. 
Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Everyone in this room could probably quote it. I, and this is from the English Standard Version. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. This is written by a Jew, a Pharisee, who is, who is appealing to or claiming or bringing to, to, to light or bringing to mind the, uh, the, the, the picture of the Levitical worship where the victim, the sacrificial lamb, the sacrificial goat, the sacrificial goat or, or bull, whatever it is, is being offered on the altar to God as an act of worship. Liturgeo. We get our word liturgy directly from it. And so he is, he is appealing to that picture, that, that Old Testament picture, when he says, present your bodies. Who is responsible for dealing with my body? Me. He didn't say, you know, get your neighbor to deal with your body. Get your... Now, when we were children, our parents dealt with our body. You know? And they would occasionally apply the, uh, what is it, the Board of Education to the seat of learning, et cetera, et cetera. You know, take away their iPad, you know. My parents never took away my iPad because iPads were 40 years into the future. All right. And so, you know, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, not a dead one. No, you're not supposed to crawl up on that altar and die. You're supposed to crawl. We're supposed to crawl up on that altar and live. Live for him. Right? So, and unless we, we doubt that's what he meant, he says in verse 2, Do not be conformed to this world. Do not identify with this world. Amen. The world system. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind that by testing you may discern, you may seek, you may f discover what the will of, what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And you've heard me say this many times. Let's go back to the very first part of verse 2. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. King James likes to say, be ye transformed. That is the passive voice in the Greek. The middle voice which is spelled exactly the same way, and only context will tell us what it, how it should be rendered, would say this. Do not be conformed to this world, but transform yourselves in your own interests by the renewal of your mind. In other words, you do something about it. You transform yourself. You pick up the scripture. You renew your mind. You come to God in prayer and allow him to transform you. That word that's translated transform there is metamorphosis. It's, uh, we get our word metamorphosis directly from it. And that is we are not to just change. We are to be transformed. You can take a cat and you can call it Rover. You can put a collar on it. 
and you can say, you know, and you can tell everybody that cat's a dog. But that cat remains a cat. Cats cannot be saved. <laughs> I know I'm picking on cats. Put it, you, you could take it the other way, you know. Uh, Mark was showing me uh, a, a video at, uh, that his granddaughter had been gone for eight days, was it? She was gone for eight days in a singing uh, competition thing. And when she came back, the dogs just <laughs> jumped on her. And one of them is an English bulldog. And he got right up in her face and everything. And if you know English bulldogs, you know what that means. Slobber everywhere. You know. What's that dog's name? What? Ozzy. Yeah. Ozzy's up in her face and he's turning around on her on her on her on her lap, you know, and she's scrubbing, you know, rubbing his belly and all this. And Ozzy is just really enjoying having Katie back. And and, you know, and it, I have never seen a cat do that. <laughs> you know, now, don't get don't, don't get me wrong. I realize that cats can be affectionate and in all of that. But, you know, you you can take your cat. You can put a collar on and everything and come home and say, come on. And sometimes they'll just look at you like, what do you want? A transformation is not just a change. It's not just, it is just exactly that. It is being, you are being changed. You're being transformed from one thing. We are transformed out of death into life, into his image. I mean, think about, think about what we've already seen here. Second Corinthians 7.1, we read it a minute ago. Let us cleanse ourselves from all defilement of flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Hebrews 12 and 14, pursue peace with all men and the sanctification without which no one will see God. And then over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 34, Paul has given them a good reaming out. And he says, become sober minded as you ought and stop sinning. Wow, that's strong. What is the only proper response when God, we see it in the scripture, when the Holy Spirit begins to deal with us about some area of our life that's sideways? The only proper response is repentance. You know, we, we love to quote John 10 verses 3 and 4 say this. To him, the good shepherd, to the good shepherd, the, the doorkeeper opens the sheep. Opens and the sheep hear his voice and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Okay, Jim, if you would come and join the brotherhood of the pink stuff up here. I used to, skydivers are worse than skiers about their rigs. They like everything to be just right and everything. And one time one guy came in and he had some pink on it like that. And one of my teammates who is... Uh, former Marine, looked at it and goes, Ugh. I go, what do you mean? He goes, I'm a member of SAPS. I go, SAPS? He goes, yeah, skydivers against pink stuff. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so I, for, for, for Jim's going to be Jesus, all right? Wow. And so anyway, uh, you know, uh, I got permission, okay. you know, you know. So G Jim is, he's leading Okay, now, if 
He says to me, Chicken Madeira, not Taco Bell. Okay, so here we go. And I'm following him. Now, if I'm following him, and remember, following him is metaphor. All right, if I'm following him and I'm tempted because Chicken Madeira means another, means a 30 minute trip down there, waiting on it, a 30 minute trip back, and it's, I'm tired, I don't wanna fool with it, etc. I'm just gonna go to Taco Bell. But I've already given my word in a spiritual pilgrim, according to the Psalms, is one who swears to his own hurt and changes not, right? Okay, so I've already said, so here he goes, and I go, you know what, I'm just not gonna do that. She's gonna have to deal with whatever. Where are you going? Yeah, I'm peeling off. He's going that way, and I'm doing something else. And every single time I know what I should do, or I know what I shouldn't do, you know, and I walk in that which is not his will, I am deviating. That doesn't mean I'm a deviant, but I'm deviating from the car. I didn't know you had pink on too. Wow. All right. It's thank you, sir. It's a new pandemic. He says, when he puts forth all his own, he goes ahead and then the sheep follow him because they know his voice. We skip down to verse 9. It says, I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. That indicates that he's leading. We follow him to the pasture. Some people don't understand why the things that the scripture promises them don't seem to be percolating, but they're not following. All right. The thief comes only to steal, klepto, kill, sacrifice to his own ends, and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly, or I came that they might have life and abundance. You know, picture here that you... When we, when Jesus says, I, I'll never forget, you know, people talk about, you know, tithing is Old Testament, I don't do that. Hey, I was sitting, I, my, my, my young wife and I hadn't been married very long. In fact, I think it may have actually been a week, the week before we got married. I was in my parents' church. My pastor from when I was growing up was up there preaching on something. I have no idea, but I know it wasn't giving. And the Holy Spirit just came and visited me. I mean, I'm sitting there and it's like, whoa. And he said, I want you to start tithing. Because we hadn't been doing that. Our fellowship in Berlin, where I was based or where we were both based, had no needs. But that just because we were meeting in government facilities with government lights and government air conditioning and government heat and all that other stuff. So, you know, and our, our, the guy that was our pastor was, uh, was uh, in the army, just like the rest of us. And so... We had no needs. And, you know, so he never made a big deal of it. And I mean, the Lord told me in no uncertain term. Why did he do that? Because he knew I had needs. And he wanted me to walk. He was teaching me to walk in faith. And so when people say, you know, tithing's Old Testament. Came too late for me. You know. And when I got back, I even told my pastor. I said, Keith, God's been talking to me about tithing. He says, you know, he's been, teach he's been telling me he wants me to preach and teach it. Well, okay then, out of the mouth of two or three witnesses. All right? So if I'm not tithing, and the Lord says, I want you to start tithing, repentance, the word metanoeo, means to change your mind. There is the idea of changing direction. I change direction. 
in my finances and I changed my attitude toward tithing. I didn't have a bad attitude toward it. I just didn't have any attitude at all. And so what happened? I began to do the word. I repented. I changed direction. All right. Now listen to this. This is Jesus. This is one of Jesus. How many of you know that there are seven epistles from Jesus himself directly in the scripture? They're in Revelation. All right. And he is speaking to the church at Laodicea. And in Revelation 3 and 19, he says this. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. Well, what do you do with that? Right. Well, God, you know, God will never, never, you know, uh, I know what is it Gene likes to say, what is it you like to say about God says, I'll knock your head off <laughs> or some words that it probably wasn't that brutal, but you get what I'm saying. Hey, listen, I have had times in my life when the Lord has spoken to me quite sternly. When I could probably say with a great deal of accuracy, his anger burned. Did he kick me out of the family? No. Did he, did he say, no heaven for you. Straight to hell, go to hell, straight to hell. Don't collect 200, don't pass go and don't collect $200. No. He disciplined me as a son whom he loves. I speak sharply. I spoke sharply to my children when they were growing up, when they needed. I speak sharply to my grandson when he needs it. Sometimes I don't even have to speak to him. I just have to give him the look, guide him with my eye, as it were. And so he goes on to say here, here, look at this. Those whom I love, I reprove. That means to rebuke or to chew and discipline. That means to train and includes the idea of a whooping if necessary. For that reason, therefore, be zealous and what? Repent. That's red. That doesn't sound like anything, anything like finished works, hyper grace, sloppy agape. Anyway, he reproves. He, he disciplines. He trains. So what does Jesus say when we see it in the scripture, when we hear it from the spirit? What? And, the, and God said, I, I remember, uh, how many of you remember Lester Summerall? How, what a brother. He used to say, you know, he used to say that, you know, he says, you know, God come up. People come up to me and say, God doesn't talk to me. I don't hear much. He said, rejoice. Rejoice in that. Because the minute he says something to you, you're going to change something. And boy, is that ever the truth. And so, what is the proper response? It's repentance. Now, you know, I know repentance has the idea of turning and everything. And there is the sorrow for sin. Because there, there, there should be. We'll get to that. Well, right now, in fact. 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 9 and 10. When Paul's writing them about all of the chewing he did in the first epistle, he says, I, I now rejoice, not that you were made sorrowful. Oh, no, they were. But that you were made sorrowful to the point of repentance. Wow. For you were. Oh, I don't even know if I can read this. For you were made sor sorrowful according to the will of God. You know, there are some people that think God won't 
God won't deal with me like that. He won't make me wish I had been obedient. I assure you he will. So that you might not suffer loss. His discipline is for our benefit. Might not suffer loss for us in anything through us. For the sorrow that is according to the will of God produces a repentance without regret. Yes, our sin is wiped away. Everybody say amen. Leading to salvation. Now that salvation, what it's talking about there, is not the born again experience. You know, we're, we're you know, I, I used this illustration last week, you know. I'm, you know, somebody's just sick and just can't seem to get over the hump and just, you know, continually ill. And you say, what do you think's doing? I don't know. You know, well, let me talk to you about your lifestyle. Well, you know, well, blah, 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 like this. And then you find out they're taking a shot of Drano every morning for their constitution. You know, just Drano. Not enough to kill them, just make them sick. Every day, constantly living sick. And you say, I think I know your problem. What is it? Drano's not good for you. It's good for the drain. But it's not good for your plumbing. And it's making you sick. What is the proper response? Repent. Quit drinking the Drano. I mean, yeah. Okay. And believe me, when it says right there, you know, made sorrowful according to the will of God, that's written to believers. That's not written to non-Christians. Now, I want to come back in a, in, in, to close this out. Uh, you know, when you preach like this, people don't get up and run around the building. What's up with that? Yeah. <laughs> Because we're crippled, Pastor. You've stomped our toes to the point they won't work anymore. You know, people hang out over here across the street, you know, with binoculars watching to see if people are oh, coming out like this. Must have been a strong one this morning, Agnes. Let's go back to Romans 12, 1 and 2 again. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers. Again, the, the, we see the picture of the Old Testament priestly worship by the mercies of God, Levitical worship, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable. Remember, how many of you have read about, you know, you, as you've read through Leviticus, we taught Leviticus two or three years ago. And you see in there the sin offering, the sin offering, the sin offering. The word chatat doesn't necessarily mean sin offering in that sense. It is a purification offering. How do we know this? Because you would offer a chetat and put it on, take the blood and put it on the horns of the altar. You would sprinkle it on the things in the tabernacle. There is no way that the brazen altar or the altar of incense had sinned. They were purified by that blood. And Paul is speaking in terms of our purification. You see, we are to live as pleasing sacrifices. As pleasing sacrifices. Everybody say pleasing. Well pleasing to the Lord. If you, now I'm going to put another word up here. 
And I'm sure you've all written this stuff. The black does not come off very well, but will. A word that's huge today and greatly misunderstood, judging by what I see. Worship. Worship is not an action. Worship is a relationship out of which actions arise. Paul says, don't be conformed to this world, but transform yourselves in your own interest by the renewal of your mind. You take in the word. You do the praying. You worship. You come into the presence of God. That by testing and discerning, you, you may discern the will of God and what is good and acceptable and perfect. But when we go back to the very first verse, it says, a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, pleasing to God, which is your spiritual worship. If I truly worship someone, am I concerned about the impact my life would have on them? Sure. I, am not, I do not worship my, my wife. But I'm very concerned about the impact my behavior and the things I would have, do on, have on her. I don't worship you. But I am constantly aware that there are certain things that in my position I should not do. I should not say because of the impact it will have on the body. Right? The sacrifices, the chatats, the purification offering. But then there was the asham, which was a trespass offering. And there was restitution made. All right. Then the olas, the burnt offerings, which were not eaten. They were burned and they were after the flesh, after the skin was removed. And they were consumed wholly before the Lord. Then there were the peace offerings, the zavak shalamim, where they uh, were... You know, the priest would get his part. God would get his part. And we would, it's the communion meal. All right. The sacrificial animals were slain before going on the altar. But you and I go on that altar fully alive and stay alive. And that is our worship to God. Holy consecrated. I am yours. Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 30. Going back to that pastor who said, well, my relationship with God. Don't you apologize to God? Don't you tell God you're sorry? Don't you repent in that sense? Well, my relationship with God is not like that. But in Ephesians 4 and 30, Paul says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. If, I'm, if I grieve God, how many of you know grieving is, if that's an injury. Well, God can't be injured. Oh, I think he can. I think he can. And I don't want to be the source of that. Paul's at pains to make sure he's talking about the way they talk and the way they behave. You go over to Ephesians 4 and see what I'm talking about. And he's saying, don't do that. Don't do that. Revelation 3.19, those I love, I reprove and discipline. Be zealous, therefore. So if I come to church and I have 
the big screens, the skinny jeans, the smoke machines, and all the stuff. And the musician's craft that is without peer. And everything flows. And the mix of the sound and everything else is just so perfect. And I raise my hands and I, oh God, how much I love this. this is just so, so overwhelming. And then we sway and we weep crocodile tears and talk about the goodness of God and how much he loves us. And if I walk out that door unchanged, I have not worshiped. I have not worshiped because worship is transforming. True worship is coming face to face with my creator. And how can I? I mean, I can't even go out into the sun without it changing my skin. How could I possibly come into the very presence of God? Many times, I tell you what, some people don't want to worship because when they come in, they start hearing stuff they don't want to hear. Because the Holy Spirit starts talking to them. When we, were, when we took some time at, toward the end of our worship service to just sit and wait on the Lord. While they're waiting for a prophetic word. Not necessarily, we're waiting for God to speak to us. I'm wait, you know, God talks to me during those periods of time. How many of you, God said anything to you during those periods of time that God speaks, speaks to me? It's not to be shared with the congregation, it's for me. And worship is not an experience it is a relationship. How many, and if, you know, the, all the tears, all the emotion and the joy. It's a, it's a, you know, I've shared this with you before. I was watching on television. A, uh, I think it was on PBS. They had a whole special on the life and ministry of Garth Brooks. <laughs> you know, his whole, you know, career. I mean, the guy's unbelievably um, successful. And they had went, gone, they had gone to two or three of his concerts and shown certain things that we were talking about. Like, but at one concert, I'll never forget it. One, because I'm sitting there going, "Whoa!" Because right in the mosh pit, you know, right the the place where all the people, all the people had come down to the front of the stage, and were standing there, and they had their arms linked, and were. Swaying back and forth, singing some worship song, you know, something, you know, you can ask a Christian, what's the difference between praise and worship? Well, praise is the fast stuff and worship is the slow stuff. No, it's not. And <laughs> you can worship with fast stuff. Somebody say amen. All right. And so um, uh, there linked arm in arm and they're swaying back and forth singing some country and western song there's a bunch of characters as they panned it there's some characters standing down there on the front that I don't think I would want to meet in a dark alley I mean they were rough looking characters you know and aren't you know biker types and they're swaying back and forth and tears are just running down their faces. And if you took the words out of it, you would think you were at a worship service. No, it was a soulish experience, a psychological experience, an emotional experience. Nothing wrong with emotions, but if there isn't anything spiritual attached to it, it is not worship. Worship changes me. Doesn't change God. 
He's unchangeable. He's immutable. It changes me. Everybody still loves the pastor. Say amen. amen. Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16 says, let's, let's come to the throne of grace. Let us boldly approach the throne of grace. In fact, I didn't include that, Susan. If you can pull that up real quick and show, you know, it's good to have somebody who's good on there. If our musicians will come, we're going to go ahead and bring this in for a landing. Uh, Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16, where it says, let us come boldly before the throne of grace. Let us draw with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive what? Mercy. Why would you writing to Christians need to tell them that they need mercy? Because I continue to need it. I am not yet walking in all the perfection of the Lord. Well, what are you missing, Pastor? Don't ask me. Ask my wife. She can tell you. And vice versa. This is not evangelism. This is for, this is discipleship so that we may receive mercy and find what? Grace to help. Not just grace to go on the way I was. Come as you are. Stay as you are. No. Come as you are and let God transform you. How on earth do I cleanse myself? 2 Corinthians chapter 7, 1. We go over here to 1 John 2, 1. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, now, what does he mean, if anyone sins? It is a third class conditional in Greek, which means, yeah, you're, going, you're probably going to sin. All right. And since you probably will sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation. Again, there's that word, he lasts in the Greek. It means either you propitiation, which means paid in full, or expiation, which means wiped away. I prefer the latter. For our sins, and not only for ours only, but for those of the whole world. What do we do? How do I, how do I, when there is something between me and God, if I'm walking in disobedience in some of my, some area of my life, and I'm struggling with it, and I know it's a problem, that's where condemnation comes from, by the way. And I, what do I do? I go to God. I go to him. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. Written to Christians, not to unbelievers. I've heard people say, no, it's written to unbelievers. My little children? No, I don't think so. And not for ours only, but those of the whole world. Man, that is so good. If we confess our sins... Repent for the Lord, before the Lord. He will wipe it away. How many of you are parents? How many of you know that when your child has done something or did something that was wrong, you knew it, they knew it, that there was a problem here between us? We need to get this straightened up. What, how do we get it straightened up? I'm sorry. I repent, Lord. Your, what is Repentance. You're right. I'm wrong. It keeps. There's one other thing. I mean, I could preach on this all afternoon. Please don't. Okay. It keeps our conscience clear. That's what that cleansing is. It keeps that conscience clear. 
to where I can hear the voice of the Good Shepherd. I'll close with this. I know in theological and preacher circles, people have, a pro have problems with what we call a besetting sin, where we're fighting it. We're fighting it, we're fighting it, and we just struggle to get victory over it. I, I know those things exist. They do. But, just, but they are not bigger than God. Are you, are you with me? And one of my profs and, and uh, professors in um, seminary used to say, sin, repent, sin, repent, sin, repent, sin, repent, sin, repent, sin, repent. And he said, the problem with that is that pretty soon we'll listen to the enemy and we begin to doubt our own repentance. Never doubt your repentance. Know that your heart is right before God. Be honest with him. Be upfront with him. Be, be brutally honest with him about it. And know that our Father accepts you unconditionally. Amen? We, we don't know how to handle that. You've heard me say this before. How many of you have ever taken a wrong turn and your Garmin uh, GPS said, recalculating. And then you took another wrong turn, recalculating. And you messed it up again, recalculating. We were looking for something downtown and really struggling to find it. And I heard that voice say, recalculating at least six or seven times. And I know it is a physical cybernetic impossibility, but by the fifth or sixth time, I'm pretty certain that I heard disgust in her voice. <laughs> recalculating. I was very surprised that I didn't hear, you idiot. That's not our Father. That's not our God. Proverbs 24, 16. For a righteous man or woman falls seven times and rises again. Because the Lord picks us up. Jesus said, Peter said, Lord, how many times should I forgive my brother if he sins him against me in a day? Up to seven times, you know, uh, you know, seven times. And he was taking what the what the, the Pharisee said and tacking on a couple to show how spiritual he was. And Jesus said, I say unto you up to 70 times seven. That's 490. Saints, nobody here is that accomplished. And he wouldn't require it of us if he already wasn't doing it. Amen? So whatever it is, you just, and when you feel like you've been smacked down, get up, repent, Cleanse yourself by the blood of Jesus. Thank you, Father. I ask your forgiveness. Lord, I am sorry. Help me going forward. But I've said that a thousand times. Well, if you have to say it a thousand more times, fine. Don't give up. Don't quit. Don't cease to resist. You will get through because you're approaching the throne of grace where you find mercy and grace to help in the time of need. Let's all stand. Those of you watching by web, thank you for joining us this morning or whatever time it is where you are, whenever you are. I want to encourage you to know that there is one way to heaven through the shed blood of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Jesus said you must be born again. Having a, a good philosophy 
Not even having a good attitude is enough. You must be born again. And that is done by embracing Christ Jesus and believing that God, He is the Son of God and the Father has raised Him from the dead. It says in Romans chapter 10, if you believe with your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that the Father has raised Him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. I encourage you, if you are not a Christian, do not wait another minute, but just cry out to God and say, Father, I believe that Jesus is your son. Lord Jesus, come into my life. I believe that you have risen from the dead. You are descended into heaven. Jesus, come into my heart. Be my Lord and be my Savior. And you will be born again to a living hope. And you will be transferred out from under the boot of the dominion of darkness and the spirit of this world which is operating in the sons of disobedience into the kingdom of his beloved son. Christian, press in. Press in. Serve God with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, all of your strength. Walk in a life that is true worship. That you wish to please the Lord in everything you say, everything you do, everywhere you go, in your manner of life, even how you spend your money. That you want to be pleasing to Him. Crawl up on that altar, Romans chapter 12 and 1, and be that living sacrifice, holy and acceptable, pleasing to Him. Amen and amen. We hope this message has been a great blessing to you and has helped build your faith in Jesus. We encourage you to visit our app, Independence Christian Center, on your cell phone available from the Apple App Store or Android, Google Play. You can also find us on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon, YouTube, and Facebook, again, under Independence Christian Center, or at our website, iccfamily, all one word, dot O-R-G, iccfamily.org. Org. Our heart's desire here is to labor with the Lord in building His body. Until next time, may God's very best be yours.